Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. Good evening, and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune into the programme. And if it has been back to school season for you and your household, I hope it's all gone smoothly and everybody's settled back into somewhat of a normal routine. I love this time of year. I kind of think of it as New Year 2.0. It's a chance to look at the, the rest of the year and think, right, there's four months left now. What am I going to achieve? What what would I like to do now before the end of the year? And did I, you know, those New Year's resolutions that I might have set back in January, how am I doing on those? So um, I hope you're in a, a positive mood as you tune into the programme this week. A little bit later on, we're going to be joined by one of the people behind the Gaelic Woodland Project. I know we talk about planting trees here on the show a lot and it will be interesting to speak to Owen Connachton. They are planting trees at scale and they're giving us the opportunity to even buy a piece of forest, which I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. But sure, hey, we're going to find out. And they're doing their volunteer driven efforts at getting rid of invasive species. So that will be a little bit later on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. But first things first, it is important to check in with businesses and see how businesses are making changes to how they operate, to see what they can do at their level in terms of just doing things a little bit better for the environment, just making small changes that can have a lasting impact. And to discuss what DPD couriers are up to, we're joined now by Stephen Tumman. And Stephen is the Sustainability Programme Manager at DPD. Stephen, you are very welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Justin. Thank you for having me. Now, Stephen, I think it's fair to say most of us are familiar with DPD. We're, we know your brand. We do our online shopping. I know during lockdown, I got very friendly with my DPD driver, Larry, who seemed to arrive at my door. It felt like every second day. He must have thought I was loaded. But we know what a courier does. We probably, though, don't have a clue how the company operates. Yes, it's a very big and dynamic company and a, a, a brilliant industry and company to be in because it's it's very dynamic across all, all all aspects of it. There's a lot of work that goes in and getting the parcel into the van and into your doorstep every second day. And like just and I like any courier company, the logistics of making sure that the correct parcel ends up with the correct person. You know, it's it's a mammoth operation, really. You know, these parcels could be anything from a tiny registered letter to something quite substantial, a piece of furniture, perhaps. It is quite a, a challenging space to work in, I would imagine. Challenging, yes, but we have a brilliant team in DPD Ireland. Everyone does their job very well and it operates brilliantly. We're the leader in Ireland for next day delivery. And we can now predict within an hour of when your parcel will arrive there. So it's hugely rewarding when you overcome those challenges and the parcels are delivered on time. 
So over the last number of years, more and more companies have been making changes in terms of how they operate and your environmental footprint, let's call it. And I know that DPD's parent company has strong ambitions in this area, but DPD more locally does too. So what is your aim at the company in terms of environmental matters? Here in DPD Ireland, our aim is to become the most sustainable parcel company in the world. And we're striving towards that and we're making huge progress towards that. We're doing that across three main avenues. Um, 90% of the damage we create comes out of the back of a tailpipe in terms of CO2. So that's diesel being burnt in either EVs that drive into your house or the middle mile vehicles you might pass on the motorway, the larger ones. So we're working with them to decarbonize them. We're electrifying our smaller fleet. Mm-hmm. We're converting our larger fleet to HBO, which is a 90% reduction in emissions versus diesel. And we're also rolling out solar to our hub and our depots. Now, what exactly, for people who are not scientists listening to this, what does decarbonising mean? Decarbonising means we're going to continue our level of service and we're going to remove the amount of carbon we emit. So climate change is caused by the release of carbon into the air. And a good fact I always say is we've released so much carbon as humans that it's the equivalent of covering the whole earth in a plank of plywood. So that's causing the heating effect. And what we're doing in DPD is we're reducing the amount of carbon we release every year and we have reduced it by 90% by 2030, which is 20 years ahead of the Irish government's goals. And... I know we hear a lot about, you know, buying carbon credits um, and there are controversies around that. But you're you're looking at actually changing the practices in the company, like switching to alternative fuel sources. Yes, absolutely. So we're massively driven by reducing the amount of carbon. So for every parcel that's delivered, we'll reduce the amount of carbon in it by 90 percent by 2030. So parcels will still be delivered with only 10% of the impact come 2030. And this is done by a rollout of electric vehicles. We're up to 20% electric vehicles across Ireland now. And in the coming weeks, we'll be announcing our first two green cities in Ireland. So cities where every vehicle is fully electric. And the HVO, where we have a 90% reduction on or middle mile vehicles, which again are the big ones you pass on the motorway. So HVO, am I right in thinking that that's recycled cooking oil? Yes, we buy the best in class HVO, which is recycled cooking oil from France. Okay, and that gets shipped over to your depots then around the country and where your drivers can fill up? Yes, yes, we bring it in and we put it on our network here in Ireland and we have a 90% reduction versus diesel. And this is the best available technology we have at the moment. We're also in talks about converting those vehicles to electric or hydrogen in the future. But for now, HVO is the best technology available. So that's what we're working with. And we'll be doing pilots next year and in the coming years to roll out even better technologies when they are around. I know many people listening to this will still be sceptical when it comes to switching over to, you know, I know HVO is relatively um, new on the commercial scale, but even electric vehicle, people are still maybe slow to make the changes. And particularly in your business where, you know, minutes matter and there is still a fear about the reliability of these vehicles. How is it? Um, how has it turned out for you guys? How, how is it? Um, how is it working? Is it is it successful? Yes, it's been amazingly successful. We've had huge success and 
once we put a driver in an electric vehicle, that's the job done. They love them. They think they're far superior vehicles. There's big cost savings for the drivers. And they're also better machines to run. And they're cleaner. They're quieter. And they're just overall, I believe, a far superior technology than the diesel vans that are available. So once we get a driver in one, then they're absolutely love it. Their working day improved. They're happier delivering the parcels and the company runs better overall with them. Out of curiosity, when you started making these changes, what did your staff make of it? Um, there was a varied response. Like like when you make any change, there's a varied response. We had some early adopters that loved it and we ran with them and other people took a bit more convincing and we moved with them. There's a huge amount of barriers to overcome to get an EV into the market between availability of energy in the depot, the route has to be suitable, the driver has to be suitable, the parcels have to be suitable. So when we line up all those and we can overcome all the barriers for any route, we're converting it to EV. But overall, it's been an amazingly positive um, switch. And really, the staff do want to work for a company that are making changes, that are leading the industry. I think climate change is here. Everyone is aware of it. And it makes everyone's work life a bit better when they know they're helping Ireland reach its climate and help save the world too. Have you had... Okay, so you're doing this... You know, you're, you're switching over to um, HVO. I know you've added solar power to some of your depots. You've, you've gone electric where you can. Are you seeing tangible benefits from all of this? Yes, absolutely. We, we have reduced our emissions by 70% per parcel from our 2020 baseline, which is a huge, huge reduction. And I'm not sure there's any other industry or company in Ireland that is having that success. Maybe there is, but I, I'm not aware of them and, we to get to 100% reductions and we're 70% of the way there and we're only three years into this journey so the benefits have been huge and everyone is happier going to work every day knowing we are making as little damage as possible. And that's all very positive in terms of the environment and in, in, in terms of staff morale but but I'm guessing that this this cost DPD a lot to do this. There was a, a massive investment needed to make these switchovers so is it proving profitable for you? Because I know that will be the fear that businesses at a smaller scale have, that, that if these, they make these changes, they need to be able to turn it around economically. Yes, it has. And so at the group level, we are investing millions of euro into this project. We're investing a significant amount of money into it. And the depots then are coming on board with us and helping as well. So... We believe the money we spend now will be rewarded to us in the later part of the decade, of the century. Or even now, our sales are increasing due to it. So we're seeing people realise DPD is the market leader. Let's work with DPD rather than the competitors. That's really interesting. So even from a marketing perspective, it's, it's proving to be, well, another reason for you to, um, to for someone to choose your company over others. Absolutely. I'm in constant communications with our sales team and our customer team to make sure they're up to date with all of our progress. So we're telling the world about all the hard work we're doing and all the progress we're making. And it's a great news story. We're having massive success and it's only right we're rewarded for the hard work we are and the being first movers. 
Well, Stephen Tumman of DPD, thank you so much for talking us through the changes that DPD is making to make it a more sustainable and environmentally friendly company. It's been a pleasure chatting with you on the show. We will be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you are enjoying our programme so far this week. Well, trees. There's something I talk about a lot on the show and I know there are many programmes that encourage us to plant Irish native species trees and to mind trees and not just be chopping them down and, and even hedgerows, you know, not to be interfering with them during nesting season. But there's very little that we can do as individuals, or maybe not. I'm joined now by Owen Connachton, and Owen is part of the Gaelic Woodland Project, and they're trying to do things a little bit differently, um, a, a little bit, um, well, it's, uh, it's an interesting way of doing things. Let me put it that way. Owen, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Tantalising introduction, Ashling. Great to be here. <laughs> so, Owen, tell us, in a nutshell, what is the Gaelic Woodland Project? Okay, Gaelic, in short, the Gaelic Woodland Project is a charity, straightforward, but it's run by volunteers. It's an experiment for people to come together who want to do something for the environment, and there's strength in numbers. And when we all try together, we can achieve a lot. So we go into forests and we remove invasive species, we turn it into firewood and we're fundraising to buy land to create forests and we're having good crack while we do it with the music and the food and community. So you guys get together maybe of a Saturday and go into a woodland and get rid of invasive species. That all sounds great. Um, does the landowner know that you're doing this? <laughs> yes, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> Uh, we have, we have, so we do it all non-mechanised. Everything is done by hand and these shrubs can become these monstrous uh, thickets. Uh, so it's very, it's, well, we call it high impact forest bathing. Uh, it's a very dynamic, very physical uh, day out and it's so different. We've got people who work in We've got people who work in big tech, people that work in pharmaceuticals, people that are, are studying or they may very rarely get into the forest. You know, they've got family commitments mm-hmm. and all these different things. But the last Sunday of the month, we all go into the woods together and we just get into it. We arm ourselves up with gloves, silky saws, two-person power chainsaws, and we just start taking chunks out of these infestations, which are killing the forests, by the way, and it's a pervasive issue. So it really is a call to action. So everybody gets out there. We've had Seamus Og. He was the youngest. He was only uh, seven years old. He came oh, wow. with his family. And then we had Anil, who's 60 years old, he's from Malaysia. We have a broad scope of all these different people that share the same passion to just do something. And as I say, when, when many people try together, you'd be amazed, even I've been amazed at the, uh, at the work that can be done. So now, we've removed uh, infestations on the banks of the Deal in Meath, from mm-hmm. the Klein Manor, and in the Hamwood Gardens outside Dunboyne. And people keep coming back uh, because it's such a unique, uh, refreshing, empowering experience. 
Now, you mentioned, before we get into the nitty gritty, you mentioned forest bathing and it's a term that not everybody will be familiar with. My understanding of it is um, it's spending time in forests and even for some, they'll take the shoes off and let their their, their toes touch the ground and, and really feel a connection with nature, but just to feel more grounded and more present in enjoying what are really beautiful areas or at least should be beautiful areas. That's it, exactly. Um, forest bathing is, I believe it's a Japanese practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shinrin-yoku, I believe it's called. And there's, there's a whole ju- teaching. I won't judge you on your <laughs> Japanese pronunciation because I'll probably be just as bad. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you're right, a, a Japanese originally. But it is, it's an interesting practice and one that is becoming more well known here in Ireland. But um you're doing this, though, like you're not going out for the crack and pulling up these, you know, hedgerows and um, invasive species trees. There, there is a scientific reason behind this. So, so what started this? What, what's the problem you're trying to deal with? OK, uh, well, just in a nutshell, there are many invasive species across the island. Uh, there's Japanese knotweed. There's rhododendron, Himalayan balsam, and, and they're also different. There's no homogenized response. Mm. Um, but cherry laurel uh, is unique uh, in that one. It's kind of been ignored. Yeah. It's not actually listed as an invasive species in the Habitats Directive, but it is considered an invasive species by government departments. So it's in this gray area where people can actually go to garden centers and buy this shrub. And they can put it in their garden and without any warning, they've uh, put their local forest at risk. Because what will happen is a bird will come in to your garden, they'll eat a berry from your cherry laurel shrub, which you've planted, it's great hedging. And then it'll fly into the forest and the, the bird will drop the seed and it just takes off. Mm-hmm. This thing is from Turkey. So once it's in rich Irish soil, it just, it's juiced up. It's, it starts to grow, it's poisonous, so none of the deer or anything will graze upon it. It's evergreen, so eventually it just keeps on spreading uh, and it'll just cover the entire forest floor. And, and uh, you're calling it cherry laurel. I think most of us would, would like, uh, us, us uneducated on trees folk would just say laurel hedges. Like these, these, are thing, these are hedgerows that we see everywhere. They're very popular mm-hmm. if someone has built a new house because it will give you privacy very quickly. They, they pop up. They've got those long, really thick, waxy green leaves. The green is very bright and vibrant. It's almost, it's not quite neon, but it is, it's it's striking. You'll see it even on a dull day from the distance. And many of us would not realise that it's not it's it's not really the best thing to be planting, that we're doing damage by planting it. Exactly. That's exactly it. Uh, so we're trying to bring awareness to it. So the first thing we'll do, we'll go out into these forests. It's a pervasive infestation. It's all over the island. Uh, so there's not enough resources to tackle the problem. And I've been looking at reports for 16 years. Uh, these shrubs have been causing trouble and they just keep spreading. Mm. Uh, and what they're doing is they're eradicating the ecology in the forest. And there's no new trees growing. So when the old trees fall, the forest as an ecosystem will fall with those old trees because there's no succession. It's a very serious problem, but it's not really getting conversation because it's so slow. It's it's so (laughs) slow and it seems innocuous because people think these are just normal shrubs. Um, So we go out there, we show people, look, this is the cherry laurel. 
we have to respect this plant. Its tenacity to live is an inspiration. Um, I've never seen a plant like it before, but it's in the wrong place and we have to get rid of it. So we introduce the plant to everybody, we arm ourselves and we go in and we turn it into firewood. Uh, so we, we took um, 20 tonnes of firewood from an acre infestation uh, in Meath and we started to give that away uh, for free. We gave it to the Brigidine nuns in Clare we gave it to some households. All of our volunteers can take as much wood as they want. And it, it means that people don't have to cut peat. My family cut turf in, in Galway and Roscommon. So I know what it's like to sit by a turf fire. Mm-hmm. I know it has a cultural continuity to it. Um, but the cutting of the peat is destroying the bogs, or at least inhibiting the regeneration of the bogs. Alternatively, this resource will save the forests. Um, it'll decentralise the removal. So it's an invitation for landowners, look... If you want to have a hearth burning, and I do think the hearth is the, is the heart of the home, um, I want people to be able to sit around a fire, and because yeah. I love it myself. But rather than cutting down a tree, rather than importing wood from Norway, rather than cutting up the bogs, go and take the cherry laurel. It's a shrub. It's not a tree. It doesn't need a forestry license. And in doing that process, you're actually doing a great service to the forest. And what Win-win. about, like... You know, and there will be people listening to this going, no, 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 we should be getting rid of fires in households altogether. It's bad for our health. It's bad for the environment. Full stop. We just shouldn't be doing it. I would agree to disagree. Okay, <laughs> right. Okay, fair I'd enough. I'd say there's, there's over 60,000 homes in the country that are burning turf. You can't tell them to not. Yeah. You can't say just there needs to be an, a, um, a transition. Yes. So I would see cherry laurel as being a transitionary biofuel. It takes pressure off the bogs and it gives people an opportunity to save our forests, which is absolutely necessary. I'm more interested in the, the, the very rare mature woodland ecology that is going to die if we don't stop this. And we can't replace that. So I'd be looking at it from the ecological side of things and it's a transitionary thing. It's not a permanent solution, but it is a necessary shift that needs to be done these um, these laurel infestations have to be removed uh, at the moment it, it's not happening at a, a, a broad enough scale it has to be done by communities and if they can burn it instead of peat it's an incentive and then when that infestation is gone they've saved the forest they've saved the woodland ecology and then hopefully we'll be further on down the line in uh, as they say the just transition and there'll be uh, other alternatives there. But for the time being, we have to be pragmatic and look at the reality of the situation and work as best as we can towards the most maximised opportunity for both community and ecology. And, like, I think over the last couple of years, as more and more of us are getting back to nature and whether it's walking the dog or just going out on our own and spending time in our natural resources, I think we kind of forget that we have these forests and woodlands and they are really places of beauty. But there's an awful lot of talk about native species, trees or natural woodlands as opposed to plantations. And Mm -hmm. this this model that has come up of bringing in trees and planting them at mass for to to get government grants and and all of that. So like Mm -hmm. what like what are your concerns in this area? Like I know the Sitka spruce is the one that people talk about and it's quite a different type of forestry than we might be used to here in this particular country. how much of an impact is all of that having? It is absurd that this is our forestry policy. 
Um, six, 69% of all Irish forests are non-native conifer trees. Um, so not so, only are, do they provide no functional biodiversity, so nearly 70% of Irish forests don't provide habitat for, for animals. Um, but they actually, they're actually polluting our waterways. Mm-hmm. They're polluting our waterways, they're fragmenting habitat, and because there's such high-density plantations, they don't allow any light to touch the floor. So let's say, for example, these plantations have been put up into kind of marginal lands that are secondary to agriculture. You know, the farmers don't want to plant on good grazing land. So, hey, we'll plant it up there in the heath or we'll plant it up there in the bog. But when you plant them up there, they eviscerate that habitat. They're not supposed to be there at all. If there, is, if there was to be planting in the Irish uplands, it would be Scots pine and it would be light density. We're not supposed to have these plantations. But what I think is really tragic about it is that if you look at old Irish Gaelic culture, you know, there was such an affi- uh, affinity with the trees in the, in the laws and in the culture. Like, let's say, uh, Male Shockton, he was the high king of Ireland that Brian Boru was trying to overtake. And Mail Shockton, rather than meeting Brian Boru's army in Leinster, he marched to Clare and he cut down his family tree because that was a way to delegitimize his claim to the throne. Inauguration trees were a part of Irish culture. But these forests of old were cut down near, near to completion. And we've forgotten that we have this cultural connection to the forest. I think it's like a post-colonial amnesia, mm-hmm. just like the way we don't speak the language the way we used to. We don't have the same relationship with the forest. So people go into these North American conifer plantations and they presume that's a forest. And it's not. It couldn't be further from a forest. As a matter of fact, I'd say that I would rather them not be planted at all um, and to go towards uh, native broadleaf trees. But there isn't a drive to do that because they're not as commercially viable. And this was, this was dictated by uh, demonstrations that were done in Wicklow in the 1950s when Sitka spruce was deemed to have the greatest yield. But these, these demonstrations didn't look at biodiversity. They didn't look at water quality. They didn't look at anything except for yield. So that's the kind of legacy we're looking at report, a demonstration done 70 years ago to direct our forest policy now. So now, and it's absurdity, own, in my opinion. For people who aren't involved in this area and you say something like broadleaf conifers, like they genuinely might not have a clue as to what exactly okay. that means. So like, like what kind of trees should we have in our forestry? What kind of trees are native to Ireland? Okay, so Ireland's, so broadleaf trees and conifers. Broadleaf, would, they would lose their leaves in the winter. Uh, so there's three native Irish conifers. There's a Scots pine, beautiful red bull, red red barked tree. Um, it will release limbs as it grows. Uh, so it's kind of more dynamic in the wind so it can survive in, in the uplands. And then we have the juniper um, and then we have the yew tree and you'll see the yew tree in, um, in graveyards. It's a very significant, culturally significant tree. Mm. And then we have a, sec- a selection of different broadleaf and that would be mainly oak, oak, pendunculate and sessile oak. Um, interestingly enough, Ireland doesn't actually have the species diversity of mainland Europe because of glaciation and the development of the English Channel. So we don't have a lot of different flora, but what we do have is epic. Uh, so these uh, Irish oak forests, um, they would be ancient. You know, mm. these trees can live to a thousand years. They can survive storms. They can be struck by lightning. 
uh, and they still survive. There so, is um, in in Tullamore, where I'm from, in County Offaly, there yeah. in, in Charleville Estate, Charleville Castle, we have what we know locally as the King Oak. At, yes. Because it's one of the oldest oak trees, I think, in Europe, if not Ireland. It's definitely the oldest, one of the oldest in Ireland, but def- it's up there in the rankings in Europe as well. But there, mm. a number of years ago, somebody, for I don't know why, drove a car into it and set the car on a light. And the tree is still there and it's still alive. And there was genuine fear locally that we'd lose this this tree that many people have had their wedding photographs taken. We as kids always climbed all over it. Um, you know, it's been part of the heritage of the town, you know, it, like just colloquially. They are phenomenal trees. Like I, just yeah. to be set alight and survive, like that's just something special, I think. These, these things are giants and I love the image. So Ireland would have been covered in these trees for about a thousand years before people even arrived. Mm. So when the first peoples came here, when the builders of Newgrange uh, came here, uh, they would have lived beneath this canopy of oak um, and their bronze tools wouldn't have been really sufficient to cut them down. It would have been very difficult to cut down these trees. So they would have lived with them. Uh, that's what I imagine. And then when the Celts came here, they brought the iron. They were able to clear the plains, just like the plain of Taltu out near Kells. Um, and these these trees, they would have they would have lasted. And Charleville Forest outside Tullamore, that's one of the ancient woodlands. Mm. You know, there's 188 ancient woodlands in Ireland, and they're incredibly rare, um, small, isolated, precious, and they. These things contain seed banks and species that exist nowhere else. Like, for example, the strawberry tree. Uh, the strawberry tree exists in no new woodlands. They only exist in these ancient woodlands and only exist in 10% of these ancient woodlands. These are the remnants of the Irish, uh, the wild Ireland that our ancestors would have known. Uh, so, so when you walk in there, you know, you have the forest bathing experience. and It's so grounding. It's so refreshing. The rest of the world seems to fade away. It's really good for the mental health. It's good for the mind, the body, and the spirit. And uh, it's it's really it's a, it's a blessing to have something like that outside Tullamore, isn't it? That you can go and visit. And like, like it is an example of what you're talking about. Like because now it's been a while since I've walked in, in Charleville Estate, but like from from my memories of it, at different times of the year, you will have uh, the smell of the wild garlic growing. You will have bluebells all over the floor of the forest. Yeah. If you unlike me, don't have a Jack Russell attached to you and you go to a particularly quiet part of the, 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 the woodlands, you might even see some deer. Like, it's, the, the ground is growing as much as the trees are growing. You know, you will, there, there, are, there are things that you can't even identify. There's, there's, it's a biodiversity in action. You can see all of these different species living together and growing together and, it's undisturbed, whereas you go to other plantations of these non, um, non-native or not originally meant for Ireland species, and there's nothing on the floor because there's because the canopy is so dense, nothing can grow on the ground, and mm-hmm. you know, and and like you say, there are kids growing up who think that this is what a forest looks like. That's the real tragedy of it. Like my farmer, my family are farmers in in Connacht, and. When I talk to them about trees, they think about these these plantations like, oh, that's a forest. I don't want that. Like they're disinherited from their ecological inheritance. Mm-hmm. They, we don't even understand what we don't have. Um, 
And yeah, yeah, it, 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 that's a, it's a cultural shift that's needed, a different kind of relationship to the land. Ireland was deforested. I, I personally believe, while respecting rural Ireland, because this is where these trees are going to have to go, you know, but they need to be integrated into farm life. They need to be, they need to enhance communities. Um, and we do this now. In the, not only will we stop land from being flooded downstream, which if you look at climate models, there's going to be more rain in the winters. So we need to be able to hold the water in the landscape to prevent flooding downstream so mm-hmm. we can incorporate these trees. But then if you think about the next generation, generation after posterity, I, I, it's a gift to them. You know, it's a way of honoring our ancestors, honoring all those who came beforehand, the struggles that they went through for us to have this opportunity to live right now, to have... Uh, the things that we have to appreciate their struggles to gift posterity. I think it's the only way to to to, to appreciate the past is to gift the future. Um, but the way things are going now with the spread of the invasive species, uh, unless people stand up and take that responsibility, um, it'll be gone. And um, I believe in people now because I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen so many people coming out. And even in Charleville Forest, there's a cherry laurel infestation there as well. So that's free fuel for the for the community for those who want to take it, um, and yeah, create, create a culture of stewardship. You know, I think there's a, a certain mind where you want to put nature in a box. You know, that's where nature is, and if you look at the national parks in America, for example, like the Yellowstone Act, which created Yellowstone National Park, when that was created, they removed the Native American tribes from there mm. because people don't belong in nature. It's the same with the first national park in South Africa. They remove the native tribes because people don't belong in nature. Um, I fundamentally disagree with this. I think we do belong in nature. I think we have to integrate ourselves into nature because we're the, whether we like it or not, we're incredibly powerful. So if we're conscientious with our actions, we can become like the gardeners of Aaron. You know, we can restore the landscape. Um, but it requires us to engage with the landscape i.e. if we don't remove the invasive species, the forest will die. So we have to get in there. It's a call to action. And look, I know, and I'm a little bit older than you, Owen, but I remember in school going home and giving out to my parents for having too many plastic bags because that was the thing at the time. That was the educational campaign at the time was to get rid of, of all the plastic bags. It was an educational campaign around. And I remember having arguments with, with certain members of my family. I didn't want them smoking around me because my teacher said it was bad. Like it starts mm. at that level. We need to start with primary school kids and educate them on, you know, what is an Irish tree? What is forestry? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? And there is there is work going on with yourself and others and like you around the country which is wonderful to see well Owen we have run out of time but we'll definitely get you back on the show another time it's been it's been a pleasure chatting with you I really appreciate that Ashton thank you so much we will be back after the break do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. 
Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I gave a shout out to a former Midlands 103 staffer, Cleo Knight, who had just won Best Dressed Lady at Tullamore Show. Now, Cleo likes to try and make all of her creations sustainable and particularly budget friendly, which always makes me interested. Um, but Cleo is from Port Tarrington and has come into studio to talk to us all about her creations today. Cleo, welcome to the show and welcome back into the station. Thanks a million, Ashling, and thanks a million for having me. So, Cleo, talk to me about these best dressed ladies events. Like, for those of us who are not involved, I have a notion how it even works. And I kind of think, oh, well, you'd want to be really wealthy. You'd have to have an awful lot of money to burn to be buying all these new outfits. And that's just not achievable for me. Absolutely. You know, Ashling, it it wouldn't be achievable for me either if I was to buy all my clothes. You know, if I was to go online and purchase 500 euro dresses and I know plenty of women that do that but I'm a huge race enthusiast and I love going to the races I love competing in best dressed and you know I've only been doing it a short while but I seem to do quite well so my outfits are are usually mostly sustain- sustainable as much as I can make them now that would include me going to charity shops and you know picking up little pieces as I go I always have the next race at the back of my head mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's it's also not just about, you know, saving a few quid. It's also about, you know, being conscious of our climate. And, you know, we all have to have our sustainability hats on. And a lot of the races are reflecting that back because their their theme is often sustainability, which matches my brief <laughs> very well. Um, and uh, so a lot of the ladies are jumping on board this uh, trend. And uh, I'm absolutely loving it, I have to say. So, like... What is it about competing at these events that you enjoy? Like I grew up, like racing's not my thing, but show jumping is. And I grew up show jumping, you know, and and going to horse lessons and being part. And so when I go to the likes of Tullamore Show or the Dublin Horse Show, I'm there in my knee-high Doc Martens and my jeans and some kind of blazer. And that's my go-to outfit. I It's just, it's a world I know nothing about. How how do you even get involved? It's it's so funny you say that. I go and I know nothing about the horses. I all I can all I know is their names. That's as, and I don't know how to bet. And you know, I I was interviewed recently by someone who thought because I was one of the ladies at the event, I would somehow have huge knowledge of the horsing part side of things. And they asked me how many derbies did, did this horse win, and I, I I had no answers. I was silent the whole time. And then at the end of the interview, I was like, oh, I thought you were going to ask me about fashion because that's the only reason I'm here. So I mean, when you see all the ladies, they a lot of them don't actually have anything to do with the horse side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how when I when I got involved first of all, I thought, oh, I, you know, this is very intimidating. Um, you know, the ladies are dressed up to the extreme. Every year the hats are getting bigger, the dresses are getting bigger, and the prizes are also getting bigger. And um, and it it attracts a huge crowd. Um, the now during the summer the, ra- the 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 racing ladies' days happen in seasons. So the summer season has just ended. So there'll be the next season starting in let's say. September and then we'll see another cohort of of races happen at the same time that have the ladies day aspect to them but it's so exciting Um, now for me I plan my outfits usually about a week 
in advance which is nothing compared to what other ladies do like I'm talking ladies are planning their summer outfits in Christmas time they're going on holidays and they're buying pieces that they can use six months from now um, so I often feel a bit of um, imposter syndrome when I'm there and especially if I get into like a top 10 lineup or a top 5 or even a top 3 or even if I win anything I always feel like I don't deserve it because these ladies have spent sometimes a hell of a lot of money and sometimes have paid even you know, bizarre money for hats to be made. I mean, the, a milliner, um, to get your hat made professionally to match your dress could cost you three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine thousand, two thousand. And people are paying this money. And like, let's be honest, those hats look amazing mm-hmm. and they're they're nearly sculptures in their own right and if you have that kind of money to spend do you know what go for it um, and I, I love style and I love fashion and I love colour but your approach to this like going to charity shops and like I, I love charity shopping I absolutely love it but I can find it a bit overwhelming mm-hmm. um, like do you have any tips for us so if you know that say Kilbegan is coming up the race is in Kilbegan, um in September and you know you're going to need something for that how do you go about putting it all together? Um, like, do they tell you the theme like six weeks in advance or, you know, what? where's your starting point? Okay, so usually there's a theme set. So the theme, for example, in the Cura recently was Sapphire. So you had to include something Sapphire in your outfit, whether that be your nails or your shoes or a hat or your full outfit. So they usually give you some version of a theme. Um, an example, the sustainability is a very common theme that we're seeing. So how I put it together is I would get an idea of what the theme is and then I would start my charity shopping. Now here in Tullamore, there are so many, mm. right? And I love them all. I go to NCBI and, you know, I would spend an hour there going through everything. But some of my tips w- would include you know, just because something is in your size, don't be afraid to not tailor it to your size. So I love vintage clothing. and But sometimes the clothes are either way too small or way too big. Mm. I still buy them. I buy, I, I, get a de- I get a great discount so I could pick up a whole dress or a whole outfit for 15 euro and I'll bring it home and I'll book in with my tailor and I'll get them to take it in or put it out or take a piece of fabric off and add it to a hat. Now, I'm not a professional milliner, but I also try to you know, be a bit creative. So what I do is I buy hats and then I'd go into the local Euro shop and I'd buy some roses, for example. And I would get a glue gun. You can buy them in Aldi for like 20 euro and I would start gluing on the roses. And, you know, I have a lot of fun doing that. I mean, that can be a great evening or actually a few evenings. Um, But that would be two of my biggest tips is, is don't be afraid to create something yourself. They love that at the races. That seems to be one of the... I think that seems to be, the key, let's say, key to, and I don't like to use the word success, but somewhat of success that I've had in the races so far is that I've always had something to talk about and they've always been interested in my creation. And I haven't, I'm not, I'm not at home making the actual hat because as I said, I'm not a milliner, but I have so much fun just sticking on the roses and the glitter and the glue and it's, it's a good night. <laughs> and it is fun being creative. Like mm-hmm. if, if it's what you're interested in, like for other people, it might be around a golf or, mm-hmm. you know, playing with their band or, or having a sing song in a local pub but for you this is when you get in the zone this is this is your relaxation nearly it absolutely is and I recently bought a mannequin and I put it into what I call my glam room in my house and as the week goes on I add pieces to the outfit so I might put a hang a dress that I bought in a charity shop and then I'll add the shoes and then I'll add the gloves and then I'll add the pearls and then I'll add the hat and it's it's so fun. And when you know, when you're going to a race and you know you have a winning outfit, your confidence is just so high. And, and the judges, I think, see that more than anything because, you know, when you're uncomfortable in an outfit, 
it just is so obvious. It shines through. But when I know I'm going in an outfit that, you know, I might have a chance, I just love it. And that's my, that's, I think that's why I do it. I just love the feeling, how good I feel when I attend these Lady Days event, events. But I can see why people are very intimidated by them. Mm. Because prior to me being a, a huge enthusiast of it, I was a little bit scared of it. Well, Cleo Knight, you have just won Best Dressed Lady at Tullamore Show. Um, you know, just to, to to wrap up the conversation, you know, for people who might be interested, for, for particularly, I'm thinking of like, because of the time of year that we're at as well, like for young students who might be interested in studying fashion or, or art, like it seems like a nice, fun activity to get involved with if you can be clever with your outfits and not spend a fortune and nearly have fun Mm -hmm. with maybe setting yourself an impossibly tight budget to see what you can make out of that. Oh, 100%. My budget is usually €50. That's what I usually get my whole outfit for. I'm talking shoes, dress and hat. And some people pay 1500 so, I mean, I, I do it on an extremely tight budget, but I am surprised that not more art students or creative students or fashion students, I'm surprised they're not taking part in it because you see them. They love junk couture. They love those fashion shows. So I would love to see them get involved in Ladies' Day and, and see what they, I mean, amazing prizes. Like there's thousands you could win. So Yeah, and like for listeners, I have seen the prizes that you won at Tullamore Show and they really shocked me. They were absolutely amazing and it would nearly convince you to enter like if you're getting the opportunity to win all these cool things. But Cleo Knight, where can people find uh, you Would you uh, to see all those fabulous photographs? Well, you can um, add me on Instagram. It is uh, classic underscore Cleo or TikTok. Again, it's classic underscore Cleo. And um, yeah, I have a array of fashion and past outfits to scroll through. Well, Cleo Knight from Port Arlington and formerly of uh, Midlands 103. Thank Thank you for joining us on Let's Go Green. We will be back after the break. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And if you perhaps missed last week's show and you want to listen back to it or maybe there's something that took your interest that you want to share with a friend or family member don't forget we are available as a podcast just search for Let's Go Green with Ashling O'Rourke on Spotify Apple and indeed Google Podcasts so we are there to, to listen to us at a time more convenient to you perhaps or even just to share with your colleagues as I said also if you'd like to pitch an item for the show if you'd like to get in contact with me protect Perhaps you're working on something. Perhaps you're an environmentally friendly company operating in the Midlands. Well, I always love to hear from you. So please do go on to midlands103.com and click on the on-air team. You'll see my name there, Ashling O'Rourke, and you can send me a message directly from the website there. There's a nice handy contact Ashling form there, as indeed there is for every member of the on-air team here on Midlands 103. You just go onto the website, click on on-air team, and there is um, a page for each of us there. I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. I did forget to say earlier, and I will give them a shout out now. If you're interested in that piece that I did with Owen Connachton, of the Gaelic Woodland Project. If perhaps 
you'd like to volunteer, they do meet up one Sunday a month to get rid of laurel or cherry laurel is the official name of it. Um, so if you'd like to volunteer and take part or even if you'd like to speak to Owen about doing something similar maybe here in the Midlands because I know that they're operating up in County Meath. So their Instagram page is at Gaelic Woodland Project. So that's at Gaelic Woodland Project. That's G-A-E-L-I-C or indeed just Google Gaelic Woodland Project and it will take you directly to their website there. I thought it was really interesting to hear what they're up to and we will get Owen back on the show at another time to talk more things trees. It was very interesting to hear from DPD and what a company at their level is doing in terms of trying to make themselves a carbon neutral company which is no mean feat so it is great to see more and more companies uh, taking up the environmental bandwagon and jumping on board and it's you know I'm no saint when it comes to these things but like the way I'd look at it is if we all at least try you know we can we can all make um, great improvements and if along the way like Cleo Knight was teaching us with her designs for the ladies day events at races and and competitions you know set ourselves a small budget and try to work within that and you know it is actually doable and have a look at Cleo's Instagram page in particular because some of the creations that she has made I cannot believe she has done it for 50 euro or less I'm blown away um, at her creativity so um, give her um, look Cleo Knight up on Instagram and um, perhaps you might get some inspiration there well look that's all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green have a great week and I'll be back same time next week here on Midlands 103 Let's Go Green sponsored by Airgrid managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future check out airgrid.ie for more